All right, everybody, put down those tacos. It is the best Tuesday you've had all week, and it is time for the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio today with me as usual. Matt Dixon. All right, David, you're famous for it. The best Tuesday you've had all week. I think it's like your motto, your punchline. You're taking that one across the goal line. Uh, Well, you know, it happened by accident uh, a long time ago. Oh, there's a story behind this? Not really. It's just one of those where you- You should have faked it and embellished something for me. Well, the story is at some point you try to figure out what you're going to say when you come on, and I just blurted that out years ago. You just blurted out without thinking, hey, it's the best Tuesday you've had all week. You know, and I just kind of rolled with it. And, and here we are years later, continuing on to the best Tuesday of the week. It's the best Tuesday you've had all week. I love the days that end in Y. They're the, they're the best. So uh, <laughs> You're starting to sound like me where everything's the best, David. You know, I mean, it's like I'm going to choke a silver lining out of this thing, doggone it. Yep. It's going to happen. We're having some, some Mexican food at lunch today, and I'm like, oh, this is the best Mexican food ever. And I'm like, well, Matt's like that, and I'm, and I'm like, sure. I love this flavor profile, which is a fancy way of saying all kinds of restaurants have things going for them. Right. Anyway, uh, we'll say this also because we get a chance to. So happy Halloween to many. I want to send a birthday shout out Ooh. to our girl Heather at the office. So happy birthday, Heather. Uh, we will not announce ages here, but we will say that uh, you are awesome. And uh, if yeah. you know Heather, you know how appropriate today is to be her birthday. Right. right? Yeah. This is definitely like her holiday yeah. of any of the holidays out there. Yep. Now, now interestingly enough, I also have my good buddy Scott. Happy birthday to you! And this one because it's it's a day late, but a happy sweet sixteen to my daughter Madison. Oh wow! I know. I didn't know that. Exactly. Happy snuck up. Happy belated birthday! In about a week after we get that driver's test locked down, um, I will be publishing a warning to you. Oh yeah, stay off the roads. We've done the best we can. Now we've just got to let her off in the world with adequate insurance. <laughs> there you go. Up those premiums. And <laughs> there you go, right? Well, look, we have got interesting stuff to cover on today's show, or at least interesting to us, and we're going to endeavor to make it interesting to you. So We wanted to find a hot topic, didn't we? Well, this is the royal we. Matt came in going, I've got it. Yeah. And I just said, yeah, you do. So you get credit for the hot topic. Okay, I'm going to start you out with a quiz, David. Quiz, okay. Today's radio show is going to be about ESG investing, everyone's term that they either love, hate, or maybe haven't heard of. So, David, do you know what it is and what the ESG stands for? Well, let's see if it's, I think it's equitable, sustainable, and green, I believe is the terminology. I like it. Environmental, right. social, and corporate governance. I should have known that actually. There was there's ESG that is like there. There's, there's two. The there's multiple. Till, there is. The actual, yeah. There's two. Right. There's so two. Like, Which one are we I talking answered, about? I'm like, Dog on it, because yes, um, it, it was. Um, yeah, environmental, sustainable, and governance is like the that's probably the better one. Where like mm-hmm. at the board of directors level, they're talking about that. But the other ESG is has really been kind of like uh, the more mainstream a one. Green, the yeah, green movement, right. And so mm-hmm. and, and and those the topics have been like the the equity was really the uh, synonymous with that. Um, well, the economic right. What do we say? It was. Uh, it's sustainable in government. So it's environmental. That's the green part. Mm-hmm. That's the broad. Sustainable 
which is oh you're actually getting this the right. yeah the social piece of this yeah the, the social the sustainability is like is it a company that can do renewable things so it's not mm-hmm. like destroying the resources as it goes and then governance is how reflective of it is the population so you want a diversified governance with lots of different angles of opinion and so forth so um, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of gets lumped into the more uh, mainstream category. So you're talking about environmentalism is like the green movement. It's the climate change piece that everyone wants mm-hmm. to talk about. Greenhouse gases are a big measure of how environmentally sound is the company. Right, right. Uh, waste and pollution, um, looking yeah, so, at forestation. So that, it, the, the, the E and all, the S mm-hmm. kind of lumped together. Um, yeah, the S part, like how safe like, is so the, the are the workers. Component, mm-hmm. And then there's the equity component. And uh, I will just say this because it... it, it <laughs> It's going to come out in one form or another or somebody's going to be screaming it. I'm not trying to do this like a dog whistle, but it's just hard not to. A lot of this falls under the categories that are when, when people get take it to real extremes, it's like, well, these are the woke categories. It doesn't have to be right. But that's mm-hmm. how a lot of people dog whistle. This thing is like, oh, this is the woke rules. Here we go. And I don't want to turn this show into a political quagmire. I mean, we're going to have to wade into the water a little bit to talk about yeah. it. So just deal with it, right? Be grown ups. Well, the title of the show for me today was we're we're taking a look at really what is ESG investing yep. and we're trying to maybe even debunk some of the hype. Not saying that it's invalid or well, great th- or horrible or any of that, but why is it so hyped up? What is it really about and does that act what does it mean for you as an investor? That's right. the biggest piece. And I'm I'm careful about this too because like I'll throw out the term like let's debunk hype and implied in that is there's hype. Right. So I'm going to even try to take this a step further okay. back from that for a second and say, let's just kind of shine a light on this for a minute and talk candidly about what it is and what it is not. Because some of yeah. this really is things that I don't know that we can draw causal connections within the ESG profile. Some of it's a real reach. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then some of it may actually have some foundational, like real life meaning and connection to how. Uh, a stock may function or, or, you know, a company may function. I, you know, use that term stock and company kind of synonymously, even though they're not. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to try to not come into this with a huge agenda. Right. But I also want to come into this with like a very, like, again, candid, get real approach. Like, hey, you know, we don't need to pretend that we can't say this stuff. You know, we're adults in the room. If it hurts your feelings, like get tougher feelings. Ooh, I like that. Maybe it's the get tougher feeling show. Yeah. <laughs> There's somewhere that's going to come up and go, that's easy for you to say for all of these reasons. And I'm going to go, okay. I mean, like, we all have to bring what we bring. So there you go. Get get tougher feelings. But let's get into this, Matt. So you, you've done some homework. What are the things that uh, you think our listeners need to know about? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think one of them is kind of looking at how many companies use ESG as maybe more of a marketing ploy than anything else? Uh, That's one where I'm like, are you doing it for the headlines or are you doing it because you really care about all of these social issues so and me, all these green issues? You know what I this. mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to ask Are you, you biting? I feel like I'm casting the line, yeah, well, but you're casting no, it right I'm gonna, back. I'm going to cast it right yeah. back for a second and say, <laughs> so why do you think that um, ESG has been um, on the radar lately? Well, I think a lot of it comes back to there's been a huge push. We've seen it from everywhere. 
you know, whether it's going green or whether it's making a better workplace for employees, it gets people's attention, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's everywhere. It's in the news. And companies want to be favored in a promising light. And so if they come out and say, look at how, you know, environmental we are, look at how we're, you know, favoring this section of employees or that section of employees, they're going to get the little nod and the smile from everyone and the pat on the back. So everyone wants to jump on board because they want to feel good. Yeah. So this is where it gets kind of fun for me. Okay. I think that there are a number of angles that happen here. I think it happens this way because there are lots of different opinions out there. So first and foremost, I think it is darn near inescapable to not bring some political science into this discussion. Uh, yeah. All right. It's just inescapable because there are, one, a lot of like the special interest money in our government comes from large corporate interests. Absolutely. Okay? We, that's something we can't even dispute. That's yeah, just like known to just, be a fact. It just is. Right. Sure. So we can go on. Um, you know, back in history to how that happened, back to the Citizens United decision and how, uh, you know, companies were deemed to be able to use their dollars like people and it's a version of free speech to politically invest. And then you can see how uh, lobby groups and special interest groups have promoted the things that are important to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I say that because without necessarily immediately going to, oh, it's all corrupt. Uh, you know, it's really easy to quickly get to the point of wearing a foil hat. And uh, the reality is that you probably don't need a foil hat these days, right? It is pretty obvious that there are interests that are not necessarily mainstream interests, but they are corporate interests, and corporate is investing in that sense and investing by trying to persuade political leadership to install laws in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really hard to not say that that's happening like I, th- I think you have to take a real pollyanna view of the world like it's happening okay so then the question is how bad is it and what direction and where does it come and and i, I i'm not this one i just can't sugarcoat i just can't because you look at how much debt this country is amassing and how much deficit spending and you're like we're clearly not saying no to anybody we're just mm-hmm. printing money to try to put it everywhere and yeah. we still run out Right. And I half wonder if when we're running out, it's because there are strategic elements at play to try to color one party over the other. Since we have this two party system that we now can barely recognize as two independent parties, except on, you know, again, political science. Right. So let's talk about like this, this ESG thing. A lot of it has been seeing things that have been created in a political environment or Mm -hmm. a social environment that are now starting to find their way into corporate governance. Mm -hmm. Okay, And so we can talk a little bit about how did it get there, why did it get there, and what does it really mean for investors? That's the big piece that everyone wants to know, but I feel like we're not going to get to that maybe until closer to the end of the show. I think we'll unpack a lot of it. Okay. Right? But I think if you're curious about like where does some of this come from, we don't know every answer, but we could talk about sort of the how and the why. Some of it probably came from a good place, but maybe not all of it did. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, it is here. Now what? Exactly. So that's going to be the question we're going to unpack today. But first, we got to take our first 
corporate governance break. <laughs> so if you will kindly indulge us and listen to these very important messages, we will be right back to talk more about ESG and what it means to the modern day investor. Stick around and we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn and Matt Dixon and you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM at 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where Dave Littlejohn and my main sidekick... We're scrambling to get more facts on ESG investing. Right. Matt's digging in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're just catching up, grab the podcast and you can get the rest of the show. It's available at littlejohnfs.com. It'll publish tomorrow. Uh, so we're talking about ESG investing. Yeah. Okay. So I want to give a little backdrop. It actually... It was coined ESG back in 2006 during a United Nations meeting Mm -hmm. where they were looking at Principles for Responsible Investments, PRI, Principles for Responsible Investments, and they coined the term ESG investing out of that meeting, and it was ways for investors and business leaders to discuss the message behind their standards of what they felt was appropriate for companies. And it came out of where? The United Nations. So that's (laughs) that's a big. I want you to talk on this, David, because I feel like you're going to shed some light here for our investors. Well, it's not that, but uh, I'm going to bring a little bit more context. Can I can I add one more piece before you do? Please do. Okay, so that momentum really started building. It it initiated in 2006, but the momentum didn't build till 2015, when the United Nations Framework Convention and the Paris Climate Agreement was signed. And so the Paris Climate Agreement, and that also led to the World Economic Forum. Ooh, what do you know about that? Okay, so again, this has this real tendency towards foil hat theory, but you know that's what? Not what I'm talking about. I'm already wearing it, so just okay. go for we'll it. Let's just have some fun <laughs> with this, right? Yeah. So you start with the idea of resp- like socially responsible investing, okay? Mm-hmm. And it used to be things like the term was avoid sin stocks. Okay, so mm. this is people that said, I right. don't want to that invest. That stems back to the like, 60s. Like, like alcohol and tobacco stocks. I mm-hmm. just, you know, people wanted to avoid those. They didn't want to invest in things that they thought, or if they thought the company was damaging the environment. So, oh, let's avoid certain energy stocks like oil or coal. And so those became social statements where people were kind of putting their money or their investment dollars where right. the belief system was. Yep. Okay? And then you can see how it, it finds its way into some common language. Now, this has been a movement for a while, right? Like just a sort of grassroots movement towards social uh, investing. Well, it started pretty innocent, right? Whether it was – I don't know that it started organized. I think it it's, didn't. it's like many are. Right? When, when you hear people that say, hey, buy American right, or buy local, mm-hmm. those are all value statements about putting your money where your value system is. Mm-hmm. Okay, And I think that that – is a, a real outgrowth of like free speech and American principles. Like you can absolutely do that. Vote with your dollars. Sure. Okay, so that's a concept there. But when you start to see it coalesce, and this is where the foil hats come out a lot faster, is you watch the progression from first the terminology showing up, right? So this ESG terminology that then finds its way through the Paris Climate Accords, starts getting codified, and then you see this migration into the World Economic Forum that goes from just the United Nations to corporate governance coming in as well. So we're talking about major, uh, major multinational corporations, and the idea was could you start to coalesce around global 
standards for operation. Well, and that's exactly what happened in 2019. There was a 180 CEOs from major businesses throughout the world that all agreed to sign um, the business roundtable statement, the BRT. Right. And that was really what kind of took this thing to the next level. All these CEOs started committing to their companies, um, you know, that they were going to start this ESG style approach to their companies and the way that their investors are treated. And then shortly after, BlackRock gets involved and they made ESG a priority. So BlackRock makes it a priority. Yeah. So. The and then Europe as an entire, you know, it just it's it keeps building like you just talked about. Okay. It just kept extrapolating there's, there's a, out. There's a macro theme at play here, at right? Least, and and all right, just whatever. Wear the hat, okay? I'm Put wearing. On the foil I hat, I, just wear it. I started the show with it, David. So. Okay, we can't we can't avoid it. So at this point, we're we're in it. So we're just going to talk candidly about this. And whichever side of the aisle you're on, who cares? Good luck, right? We're all, we're going to do the best we can. Uh, because I'm not, I'm just not big on throwing rocks about this stuff. I'm bigger on like let's try to start solving problems, and that starts with understanding where they come from, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is that there are conflicts of interest all over the place. Yep. Okay, and that's because there's big money involved. So yes. what started as a movement to say let's put your money where your mouth is, mm -hmm. then started to coalesce, and then what we saw is what in in some circles is being referred to as globalism. Okay, this is the idea that major nations start to come together and try to develop common law on a global scale rather than at a national level. And you start to hear terms like nationalist and globalist. Okay, This was an underlying theme in the last election. right? Yes. And the, the Biden regime is largely a globalist regime in terms of how they have governed and their behavior. Uh, at least if you look at most of those that are defining it versus the, the prior administration with Trump, again, I'm not trying to throw rocks, but much more of a nationalist regime, right? Yep. To make America great again, as opposed to the... Let's know, make the world a better place. There. Yeah. Right. So the the concept of globalism, though, you know, where, there is no global government. Nope. Right. So the United Nations brings people together, but then there's disparity of where the funding comes from and so forth. There are some there are those out there that suggest that the entire cap and trade concept for carbon credits. Mm -hmm. Right. It was a, a mechanism to fund a global government through the United Nations. Yeah. Right. Because the United Nations, if, if you create a global standard, who's who'd better to administer it than a, a, you know, a common source like that. And so uh, that, that that was the political theory. And it makes sense if you follow the money. Right. I mean, that's big, mm -hmm. big, big dollars. Yeah. And then people say, well, why would you have large companies sign up for something like that? Doesn't that hurt them? And they say, well, it does cost them, but it's also crippling to smaller competitors. So in a sense, it creates what we would call an economic moat. Okay, the economic moat is when somebody else has such a competitive advantage and the barriers to entry are so high that nobody else comes in. Common example would be pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. Like it's extremely expensive to get a drug approved. Right. And and if you don't believe me, like go do some research on aspirin. Right. If it wasn't already approved, it would have probably never make it. Because it's really inexpensive to produce. It's a derivative of a wood product and so forth. So you're you know, it like comes from tree bark. 
right? And, and it's not patentable anymore. So no company could make any money on it. So they're not going to invest any money in trying to get it legal and through the, the FDA and so forth to get it approved for consumption. If it wasn't already on the market, it probably couldn't make it to market. Right. Because there's no money in it. So that's See, an example of a conflict of interest where you have for-profit pharmaceutical companies that have to be able to afford to recover the cost of developing a drug, and part of the cost of developing a drug is a very high barrier to entry to clear FDA approval. So you're saying that the globalist push was kind of more expensive up front for these big companies, but in the long run, they end up benefiting from it more. Yeah, if you're into this theory, right? The yeah. foil hat theory suggests that you're creating oligopolies. Mm -hmm. So only a handful, since, since we don't allow monopolies by law right now, then oligopolies are when you have only a handful of companies and they all coordinate and sort of bring pricing to a standard level. And the, like a, a common oligopoly is OPEC. Right, the oil petroleum exporting countries, they band together and they determine what the output's gonna be and so they decide as a group how to control the price of oil. And there's little, you know, rifts and tiffs all the time. But that is an example of an oligopoly, a coordinated and colluded price fixing by a small group of providers. Mm -hmm. It's it's antithetical to the competitive marketplace that would would occur in a capitalist environment. Yeah. Okay. So if we're looking at ESG, I realize like we're way down the path on this. No, we're really not because the the first segment I wanted to talk about was kind of some of the marketing myths behind ESG, and one of those was you know profit driven motives, and mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're touching on. You know, critics argue that ESG funds can prioritize returns over you know genuine impact. That's part of it, um, but more than that, these companies can focus. Um, on these improvements, even if they don't align with profitability. So, yeah, ESG is an interesting one because it can be a little bit in conflict with the fiduciary role of the company's business for, structure, for a capitalist yeah. structure, right? exactly. Yeah, and and we are getting into theory world here. Sure, I, I think a lot of folks maybe don't understand this at. Uh, at a level, and that's, I'm not trying to insult you if you're no. like, that's not fair. It's the, the fiduciary role of a board of directors on a capitalist company is to protect the interest of the shareholders. Mm -hmm. and the shareholders are the owners. They're the ones that contributed the money to start the company. The CEO, that's the person who runs the company. That's, they, they don't own the company. They run it. Okay? A publicly traded company is owned by the public and the shareholders. Right. And all of the shareholders get to vote, and the board of directors represents the shareholders, and they are there to govern the company and give instructions to the executive level management, like the CEO, mm -hmm. who is the chief amongst the executive team. So they, the, the, their boss is the board of directors, and the board of directors is elected by the shareholders. Right. Okay. So, so the there's almost like a conflict of there's a conflict of interest in a in a way. Maybe, but because if, if the board of directors comes along and says we're adopting these ESG principles, mm -hmm. they can do that, and then the sh the the shareholders can, have to decide whether or not they want to continue to own the company. Right. So the board of directors can do this, right? Mm -hmm. And and in many cases but, they have. But now the real question. Right. The one I, I don't. It's wanna, a balancing act. Well, right. And I don't want to answer this now because I think it's super interesting to unpack afterwards. But the real question is, like, wh where's this board of directors coming from? Mm -hmm. Right. How do you get a board of directors to 
vote something like that in. And then you have to start looking at the companies like BlackRock and Vanguard. Mm -hmm. So there is a very legitimate connection between these super mega aggregators of funds and the boards of directors and then the ESG governance that the boards vote in. It kind of starts to blur that line between performance and ethical goals, right? Right, and, and yeah. I'm not even making a call one way or the other. No. But I would say if you want to know how it got there, we can talk a little bit about that. Well, I want to know. Good, so we will. And then we'll talk about, again, back to what does it mean for the shareholder? But if you look at your watch, you're going to notice it's not time again. for another obscene ah, break. Okay. Exactly. So now we've teed it up. When we come back, we're going to talk about how large dollar aggregators have significant influence over boards of directors. And what does that mean for us as mm. investors? That and more when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Well on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where we are wearing our foil hats today. Yay! Right. These are always my favorite moments on this show. <laughs> this is where, uh, you know, some people are like, I hate them, and other people are like, yeah, I love them. I like uh, to swim in the deep side of the pool. Yeah. I try not to do this with the idea of making somebody feel right or wrong. I just think it's interesting to hear about the theory here. We are talking about ESG investing today. Indeed. Right? Which is economic, sustainable, and right, no, environmental, sustainable, and governance. Right? Those are the three terms. Um, and we're talking about where this came from, and we gave a little history in the, the last bit of the show, so grab the podcast and get caught up if you want to. That's available at littlejohnfs.com. But uh, as we look at the, the path forward here, and, and you start to look at how ESG has been put into play for a lot of larger companies, you have to look at shareholders, mm -hmm. right? Because the shareholders install the board of directors. Or do you look at the shareholders? Because here's the real question. How many shareholders actually vote their proxies? Virtually none, right? right? You know what that means. Because a, a bunch of people are saying, wait a second. What the heck's a proxy? Well, when you say you go and buy a share of Microsoft, right? One sure. share. Yep. When they have a board meeting, you would get one vote at the table on the outcomes of where the company is going. No? No. Okay. Close, though. You would get one share to vote to elect your board of directors. There may be certain issues that they put out. Right. They like, yeah. But the board of directors largely is the organizing and governing body that then is the boss of the chief executive officer of the company, right? This is why you see scenarios like, uh, let's talk not about, uh, well, we can talk about Microsoft. Bill Gates used to be the CEO, mm -hmm. and he was the owner. First he was the owner and founder, and then it was publicly traded, and he sold portion of it to the public, and he maintained a bunch of shares himself, and he was the CEO, and he was the board of directors chair. Mm-hmm. And then he stepped down from being the CEO and was just the board of directors chair. And then he stepped down from that, and now he's running the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation where they are a super mega you know, donate money. I don't know if he still has a seat on the board or not. I don't mm. think he does. I don't think he does either. I think a few years ago he And there he have been several back. CEOs since him, by the way. 
There's been multiple CEOs since Bill Gates stepped down. So you can see that was his pathway to stepping out of the managerial role of Microsoft. But for a while, that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Bezos has done something similar. Mark Zuckerberg will likely do something similar, right? They they stop being the CEO at some point. And they just they move just on. Move yeah. on to the board, and then they kind of move on altogether, and they bring in other people that have the energy to keep running, right? And they have different set of ideas and different managerial skills. You got to remember that the the skills that help somebody blow a company up from like a dot com darling to a Facebook don't necessarily correlate with the skills it takes to keep that company up there right that's true right the popularity contest at some point ends and you actually have to run a business mm-hmm. so there is that and that's not to say that they're not good business people either but it's to say oftentimes you bring in somebody that's a ringer for the specific job not the creator but the maintainer it's a different job mm-hmm. okay so esg finds its way into the equation because the boards of directors voted in Right. Who votes in the board of directors? Shareholders. But who are some of the major shareholders? The big institutions like BlackRock and Vanguard. Yeah, big and if you, what you're basically saying is if the people that directly own the stock aren't the ones that are voting, who are the ones that are voting and putting the people at the top of the companies? And it's going to be these big institutions that right. actually show up and vote. Yeah. I mean, as of about a year ago, uh, it looks like Google, they had they, they had their three starters. I say Larry Page, Sergey Brin, and Sundar. I think it's Pekai is how you say his name. But um, you know he's the CEO. He's got a small number of shares at just under 89,000. But 19 million shares for Sergey Brin. He's got about 3% of the shares. Larry Page has 19.8 million. That's 3%. Can you imagine having 3% of Google's entire company? Right. <laughs> but think about the institutional shareholders. So 34% of the shares are just institutionally uh, held. Like between the 31% of their A shares and C shares are, are owned by institutions. The biggest group is Vanguard. They own 7.6%. And right behind them is BlackRock that owns 6.7%. So you've got about 14% of the company held just between funds. Yeah. T. Rowe Price and FMR own another 14 million and 13 million respectively. So that's uh, uh, a little over 4% for each of them. Right. So, you know, you're looking at 20% between T. Rowe Price has almost nine. Well, no, that's never mind. Um, 4.4% of the total. Yeah. It's, they they just, this is a huge block Mm -hmm. from a voting perspective. You got three primary shareholders and then you've got, four corporate shareholders and they've got a third of the vote right there Mm -hmm. and the rest of the folks are spread pretty thin Mm -hmm. and there's also not a lot of organization in terms of proxy voting so you know if those three or four companies agree that they want a certain direction for the company they can vote for the people Mm -hmm. to be on the board that are going to push that direction so so consider for a moment that most proxy votes have pretty low turnout i don't know what it is but let's say that it's i mean probably it's lower be. than what you see for elections. Oh, so yeah. let's say you get a 15% turnout, mm-hmm. and you control a third of the vote on your own. If that third all votes together, you it's get what over. you want. Yeah. Right? You get what you want. And keep in mind that if you own Google through a mutual fund, you don't get to vote. Mm-hmm. The manager votes for you. And who's the manager? You know, it's the Black Rocks and the Vanguards. Right. So... If they install a board of directors with instructions to say, put this ESG criteria into your governance, 
or we will unelect you. You're going to do it. Yeah, you'll do Your it. job depends on it. Right. So that's what it means to have an activist board is when, when you have a, and an activist shareholder is somebody that's trying to influence the vote in order to get people in place that they want to do something for the company. You know what's funny is these ESG funds, not always, but they often come with higher management fees. Mm -hmm. So what's funny about all this is if you're, say it's BlackRock, right, For as an example, if they have an ESG fund that they're putting out to their investors and it carries a higher management fee, mm -hmm. boom, now you're making more money to manage those funds. you got to follow the dollar signs. I think you do, and you have to think about... This is where it's interesting because let's just pivot for a second away from the definition of ESG to some of the things in action. Because, like, here's my question Does it work? Right? If you invest in ESG companies, are they more profitable? Mm, not necessarily. Yeah, I haven't seen any indication that that's the case. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that there's certain parts of ESG investing that have demonstrated what looks like some real correlation to higher returns. I'm going to just venture out on a leg and say they're probably going to focus on ESG when it's profitable, right? I mean, think about it. Like, if you are pushing a green agenda and you're the one that is selling electric vehicles, it's going to be profitable for you, right? Like, if that is your, you know, your staple in the way that you make money, yeah, you're going to push for it because it's driving more business to you. I'm going to be even more cynical for a moment. Okay. okay. Here's my cynical take on this. Ooh, I like it when If you have a uh, a political agenda that says I want a certain behavior and then the company benefits from that behavior, then they're likely to continue giving money to that political official to push mm. that behavior and then they're going to look for the government to reinforce this. An example would be electric vehicles mm -hmm. okay if the government says we want green vehicles and we've identified electric vehicles as the case we'll come back to that because i'm not sure it's the case but let's say that that's our our belief. thesis yeah but those vehicles are not affordable for people to buy they're not price competitive and it doesn't pencil so then the government supplements that in the form of rebates or tax incentives then what they're indirectly doing is benefiting they're funding that company it. they're funding it Right. Yeah. They're funding it by supplementing the consumer. And guess who's paying for it, really? Right. The so tax now the taxpayer <laughs> is essentially supplementing the agenda mm -hmm. for the for that political agenda, right? And perhaps it's sold, perhaps it's not. I mean, maybe it really is helping the environment, maybe it's not. Here's the issue. Now, we'll just throw rocks at the electric vehicle concept. While the concept is really interesting, the batteries and the, the mining and the sort of scorched earth required to create components of the vehicle, they intentionally avoid discussing how toxic and how energy intensive it is mm -hmm. to produce the car. Once the car is built and you're out there driving it, oh, delightful. Look, I don't have to per put gas in it, and it seems really lovely and all that, but we're not looking at the total cost of the vehicle, right? So that's data fitting or... Only window dressing, if you would. Like, I'm only going to talk about the good qualities, right? This is kind of the dating app theory, right? I'm going to show you the best pictures from 10 years ago, and I'm going to tell you the best parts of my personality <laughs> and none of my character flaws. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you got to paint a good picture for that, right? Because you're trying to make a sale. 
And I think that happens in politics a lot. Sometimes it's out of naivety. Like people don't mm-hmm. know until later and you know, nobody wants to admit they're wrong. So what do they do? They try to polish a turd. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy to me how many people I don't like necessarily want to use the word deceived, but just buy into it right out of the gate. Right. Like, well, if you say it's good, it's good. And I'm like, geez, three generations from now, are we all just going to be chanting the same theme song? Maybe, you know, Gosh, it's, it's, it just it irritates me. Well, and it is interesting how there's a certain amount of groupthink. And then there's a certain amount of people that will automatically reject the group thing. They'll Mm -hmm. they'll do the opposite no matter what. And we're probably taking some flack from listeners right now because it's like, oh, they're bucking the trend. They don't want to just blindly follow. It depends on the listener, right? Yeah. Look, this one's so easy, right? Like, how hard is it to say, uh, I would, given all things created equal, let's not destroy our environment. Mm -hmm. Right? The same way I could say, hey, do I want to sit in an enclosed space with an internal combustion running that I know is burning hydrocarbons and in some form or fashion is likely to put something out that I don't want to breathe? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that, right? Now, if there's amazing technology that means that an engine can somehow take in dirty air and spit out clean air, that'd be neat. Sure. Right? Uh, I don't know if that really exists. We're getting closer to it. But, but nevertheless, you don't have to make a case to me that it's better to have sustainable energy than unsustainable. Right. Like that's kind of a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Okay? But the question is, if are you really doing that? Like if you're lying to somebody saying it's sustainable, but behind the scenes, it's not. Mm-hmm. We have a different set of problems. Right. That's my issue is that I don't know the green vehicles are nearly as green as we're told they are. Right. Well, and I just want a free marketplace where we're not incentivizing one group over the other. Like, let the consumer decide without r- yeah. using my taxpayer money to write blank checks to fund your your so, you know what i mean uh, uh, here's the here's the real question okay there's a real and honest question which is what happens if the consumer gets it wrong okay mm, now I want oh you to hold boy on that's a that loaded one. question hold on to that for a second because it's not like i'm saying let's not have freedom here but let's talk about what does it mean if the consumer gets it wrong because you got to remember we used to have cocaine and Coca-Cola. Okay? <laughs> so stick around. When we come back, we'll try what to a segue. a little bit of that. What right? a segue that is. All right. Uh, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 99 FM blah, 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 and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Home stretch here where Matt and I are unpacking ESG investing, and I am kicking a hornet's nest because I'm that guy. Have today. you been stung yet, though, David? Uh, Not maybe, yet. Maybe. So kick, keep kicking that hornet's nest. <laughs> so here was the question. I asked this during the break to to Matt, and it is, uh, it's a loaded question. It right? is. Uh, we were talking about how you know Matt's saying, "Hey, I like when the free market makes the decisions about things," and so I don't like the government. You know, I kind of understand this too, right? In fact, I resemble this in most cases. Mm-hmm. I don't like the government picking winners and losers. I don't like the idea that the government says, "Hey, I'll do uh, tax incentives for electric vehicles mm-hmm. and not for anything else," right? And, and the government picks winners and losers, and that's offensive to a lot of people. If you don't believe me, how do you feel about forgiving student debt? Just Don't I just answer. puked in my mouth. Yeah, stop. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, like all of a sudden, you're going to get people on both sides of this question, right? So some people were like, "Well, I have student debt. I'd feel great." And the people that de- paid it off are the people that didn't ever get it because they, what 
That whole concept just blows my mind. It's like the government can't pay for student debt, right? Like because the government doesn't have some random bucket of money that is just magical. Yeah, they have a printing press, but the way that they get their money is through taxpayers' Matt, dollars. And you're, so you're overcomplicating this. It's called buying votes. Yeah, that's all it is. No, that's I, I all know it, is. it is. That's literally like, it. We're we're not trying to sugarcoat this. Yeah. Okay? Like like if you're in favor of student loan forgiveness, your vote is being purchased. Yep. You right? just like want... that's just how that goes down. Yeah. You're just making someone else pay for your debt. So yeah. Good reallocating. Talk, right. Okay. Good talk. But back to that question, right? Mm -hmm. The whole thing was, hey. You know, do you have? Uh, how do you feel about the government picking winners and losers? Okay, but now I, I'll ask another question: How do you incentivize the private sector to take take on risks, bad bets? Right? Yeah. Right. So, as an example, is NASA a good investment? And I look at it from the standpoint of what are we putting in versus what are we getting out. And I say, we're putting a lot in, there's a lot of input, but I don't see a lot of output. So in my mind, I'm like, bad business. You they know. gave us Velcro. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what? It was worth the billions and trillions <laughs> of dollars. Give me that Velcro. My shoes you, need it. <laughs> you're, you love Velcro. You just don't know it. it yep. It's used all over the place. Yeah, thanks, NASA. So the idea, though, is there are certain things. Here's where it gets more interesting. How about postal service? Or emergency services like fire mm -hmm. and police right i think yeah there you make a good point there's a certain because what private businesses want to you know go out and deliver to these really rural areas it's not yeah there are certain things that we invest in corporately because the aggregate result is better right Here, here's a, a, a simple example it is cheaper for us to put money into education than to have everybody educate their kids on their own. Because they wouldn't do a good job. Well, and it's because many would not do anything. Yep. And what you'd end up with is an increase in the need for prison systems, right? Yep. Because you actually would see crime go up. That's There's a statistical link there. At least there was the last time I studied this. So fact checkers, go have fun, right? The issue is it's cheaper to educate someone to incarcerate them. Mm-hmm. Right, than to incarcerate them. So, so we make that investment because it ultimately saves the taxpayer money. Sure. I think the real issue here is that our government has a problem with when it saves money, it sees that as found money it can go spend somewhere else. And when it doesn't save money, it just invents money. <laughs> That's so, like the person that returns $100 worth of clothes to the store and then they buy 150 right? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, I only spent $50. No, you spent 150 <laughs> Right. Right. Or it's the, well, I, I had cash, so it doesn't count because the cash I already had, I didn't have to go to the ATM to get more money out of my account. Right. So it was like it was free. Mm -hmm. To which I just go. Facepalm. Yeah. This, this uh, please do not allow this person into government office. <laughs> Yet that's where they'll end up. <laughs> it's, it's, all of this is, I mean, we have fun kind of throwing rocks at it. But at the end of the day, and, and how does this all, you know, wrap up in the last 90 seconds around ESG investing. I think the issue at play here is that what I can't discern as an investor yet is that like if I felt like the ESG stuff added value, 
we go out there and look pretty hard at it. Mm -hmm. I think having a diversified board of directors has demonstrated it adds value, brings uh, diversity of perspective, and you tend to get better ideas and better results over time. But I'm, I'm yet to see that it's it clearly rewards investors. So does it mean it's not on our radar? Absolutely not. We have to know about this stuff and pay attention to it. We just did a whole radio show about it. But does it mean that it's the tail that wags the dog? Maybe it is for you. Right? Maybe those are really important to your, your values, and so you want to go do that, in which I would say, okay. But to me, it hasn't fully vetted itself to the point that it's trustworthy data. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of politics embedded in this right now, and you know, it's, it's, just, it's hard for me to, to make the connection between investor results and that as one of the data points. Right. So will we keep watching it? Sure. But is it the tail that wags the dog for us? Nope, it is not. <laughs> I like it. So That's a go. good way to say it. Yeah. Well, look, as we get, speaking of tales, we're at the tail end of this show. Uh, we do like to kind of throw out the offer there. If you are, uh, you know, in the investment landscape and trying to make heads or tails of it, uh, and you would like a second opinion, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be delighted to speak to you. Matt, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. Right. And if you want to know more about the firm, you can always visit our website. we got a bunch of these podcasts for the last however many years logged, so you get a sense of what our value system is and how we can come alongside you. We also have a whole bunch of free tools on our webpage. Yeah. You know, I think uh, some of you out there, if you uh, want to go explore those, there's some great financial planning tools. There's some great tools to um, take a look at. For example, some of the, the hedging tools and the risk management tools that we have that are available to you. So I'd encourage you to go kick the tires there if you want to get additional information. But that is the music. So we're officially out of time for now. So one more time, if you want to reach us, 541-375-0898. If you want to talk to Matt, you can call that number too. Yeah. So, But uh, we're out of time for now. So uh, until next time, I'll just say, hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, and we'll catch you next time. My name's Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.